Exodus, week 10. Can you believe it? Week 10. For those of you who are doing the Bible study, Paul just leaned over. I said, are there any more announcements? He said, well, you tell them if they wanted to be in a Bible study, their time is running out. So we are looking at Exodus 33 today, page 70 in the Pew Bibles, which are probably under the seat if you're in the front, page 70 in the Pew Bibles. So we're going to read uh, 33, and then we're going to skip to 12, and then we're going to read a chunk of 34, so just pay attention. Starting at Exodus 33, the Lord said to Moses, go, leave this place, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, or I would consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard these harsh words, they mourned, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. Therefore the Israelites stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. And then to verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know with whom you will send me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name before you, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stones like the former ones, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Do not let anyone be seen throughout the mountain. Don't let any flocks or herds graze in front of the mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stones like the former one, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. The Lord said, I hereby make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform marvels such as not been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among who you live shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This is the word of the Lord. It's tempting to read that passage and think that God's suddenly become a little fickle. That there's something wrong with God. Something has gone deeply wrong with Him. Because first it was, I'll rescue you, and you're my people, and let's go, and let my people go, and we go. And now it's like, I would kill you if I had a chance. It comes from, I love you, you're the best, I call Moses, he's going to lead you out, I will do anything, I will feed you in the desert, you're driving me crazy. It goes from a God that's seemingly committed to this people to God who says, I can't even look at you right now. And although it's tempting to read Exodus 33 as if something is deeply wrong with God, the truth is you can't read Exodus 33 without remembering what happened in Exodus 32, which revealed that there was something deeply wrong with these people. In Exodus 32, the people commit this heinous sin. God's up on the mountain with Moses, giving him the commandments, giving him the law, giving him the covenant that's going to bind him to these people forever. And the people are like, you know, it's been a while. Uh, I, I think we got to... I think we got to find some God for ourselves because that, that one's way up there. He's, he's very unpredictable. We're not quite sure what he's doing. So let's make one for ourselves. Because, you know, back when we were in Egypt, they had these, like, cool gods that you could see and touch. And in the temple, they would have a big one, and then they would have little ones you could have in your house. And maybe you could even, like, have a little god in your pocket. So you could, you could like, always have the presence of God. Where is it? Oh, there it is. It's in my pocket. Where's the presence of God? Oh, it's right here. It's in my pocket. Where's the presence of God? Oh, it's right here in our house. Look it. There it is right there. Presence of God. The people of Israel turned their backs on a real intimate relationship with the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, and instead attached themselves to this facsimile of a God. They were grasping so much for the presence of God that they ignored the real one and chose the false one. They were grasping for the presence of God, but they didn't really know what it was supposed to be like. That's why God gets so angry. He's so angry at them. 
because the presence of God is pure holiness and righteousness and what they have done, how they have turned on him, how they have said, we will be very content to take this artificial God. This will be good enough for us. The sin is so deep, it's so woven in the people that by him saying to Moses, you guys go on your own, I'm gonna hang back, it's actually a word of protection because my holiness is so strong, my anger is so righteous that if I were to hang out with you people much longer, my holiness would almost out of necessity have to destroy you because you have rejected the true God and exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They liked the idea of God they weren't so sure about God. Sometimes I have conversations with people that go something like this. You know, I've been praying and praying and praying about this one thing, and I don't think I'm doing it right. Like, aren't there words I can say? Isn't there some sort of formula? Isn't there something I can do to get this prayer answered? Or sometimes they'll say this. I don't feel very close to God anymore. We used to feel close. Now I don't really feel very close. Is there something I can do to feel closer to God? Or maybe they'll say something like this. Oh, I love to go to this particular worship experience because it's just, you know, I can go in a bad mood and I leave and I'm just in a good mood because it just makes me feel so good. There's good music and it lifts me up and I just feel all good. I can feel, 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 feel. It's like if I just say the right thing or go to the right place or have the right kind of music, I can just rub that lamp in exactly the right way and the genie will come out and all my wishes will come true. We like the idea of God. We're not so sure about God. And when you like the idea of God and you actually aren't so sure about God, you start to grasp for what you think is the presence of God. I think it looks like good feelings and I think it looks like warm fuzzies and I think it looks like this. And you begin to collect a bunch of things and put them in your pocket. Oh, do you want, do you want to see what? Look, presence of God. We like the idea of God a lot better than we like God. And that's why God gets so angry. When we replace how we feel about God with who God actually is, we wander down all kinds of paths that lead us further and further from God and further and further in quest of the next spiritual high, the next thing that's going to do it for me, the next time I will feel something. And this is why he says to Moses, no, 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 you, you go on. Because if I stay with you one more minute, I'm... I'm going to consume you. Do 
Moses steps in. Moses steps in a lot for these people. Moses steps in one more time, and he says, I'd like to point out a few things. First of all, these are your people, not mine. Did you notice in the beginning of uh, chapter 33, he says, take these people, the people you brought up out of Egypt. Like, you take them. Yeah, you go to the land of milk and honey, I promise it. I'll kick out all the hibbajites, hibbajites, hibbajites. I'll kick them all out. But you just go, because I've just had it with them. Take, take, your, take your people and you just go. And Moses is like, okay, hang on. They're your people. So not my people. <laughs> they are your people. And you're the one who made promises. And if your presence doesn't go with us, how is anybody going to know there's anything special about us? It's you that makes us special. It's your presence that makes us special. It's your presence that separates us from everybody else. So will you please, please, please go with us? And God says to Moses, well, I like you. I'll go for you. And then Moses says something really interesting. He says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And that sounds at first read a little bit like, can I rub the lamp and get the genie to come out? Like, is there a magic formula? Like, show me your glory. But what Moses is asking for here is a commitment He's like, look, we are all in for this and we need you to be all in. You gave me your name back in chapter three. Remember chapter three, God? You gave me your name and that was enough and it got us through and now I know you so much better and now I need more. I need, I need to know, are you all in? And God says, yeah, I like you. That's actually kind of the prayer phrase of the Hebrew. I, I like you. I'll do that for you. But then there's this really interesting exchange that he says. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, verse 19. Keep that in your head. He says that and he says, okay, here are the instructions. You're gonna go up, you're gonna go mountain, you're gonna be a little cleft. I'm gonna go like, and you're gonna see the back of me. That's how it's gonna work. And I'm going to say my name. And Moses is like, I don't know what, because we're not told. Moses is obedient. It doesn't say, and then Moses was filled with lots of warm, fuzzy feelings. Moses had never felt so close to God. It does not say that at all. It says when, when God does this thing, and he proclaims, by the way, who he is, not who Moses would like him to be, not who they all want to feel him to be. He proclaims who he is. I, the Lord, am gracious, slow to anger. I forgive people. I have steadfast love. But I'm going to hold some people accountable too. And Moses falls flat on his face because he realizes that what has happened to him is a gift. Do you remember when we said, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, I will have compassion, I will be gracious to whom I will have compassion? The presence of the Lord is a gift. You do not grasp for the presence of the Lord, you are given the gift of the presence of the Lord. There's no magic formula 
There's no magic song. There's no simple little prayer that suddenly you experience the magic of God. When people talk about, well, if you just pray hard, if you just did this, if you just did this kind of thing, they're not talking about a relationship with the triune God. They're talking about magic. Magic is when you want to control the power for your own benefit. Discipleship is when the power of the Lord controls you. The presence of God is a gift. So Moses falls on his face and he worships. And when we go through times, as we will, you will, if you haven't already, you will go through seasons in your spiritual life when things feel dry. When you do the things you've always done and they're not working anymore. Worship feels flat and your devotions feel tired and you don't think you're getting anything out of it anymore. It's tempting to think you're doing something wrong And if there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed, that's the first thing. But we also know that you could be doing absolutely everything right and still feel that way. When Mother Teresa died, y'all know Mother Teresa, right? The nun in Calcutta worked with the poorest of the poor. When Mother Teresa died, the letters that she had written over her lifetime became public And when they were published, people were astonished at the fact that this woman, who many of us had put on a pedestal about someone who has a relationship with God and is living out of the overflow of her heart, it turns out that she had deep, deep spiritual pain. That for the last 40 years, basically from the time she started the Missionaries of Charity until she died, she had deep loneliness in her spiritual life. She writes this, there is such terrible darkness within me as if everything was dead. It has been like this more or less from the time I started the work. There's so much contradiction in my soul, such deep longing for God, so deep that it's painful, a suffering continual and not wanted by God, repulsed Empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Heaven means nothing to me. To me, it looks like an empty place. The thought of it means nothing to me, and yet this torturing longing for God. She tells of a time when a bunch of professors came from the United States to visit her, and they asked, tell us something that will help us And I said, smile at each other. I must have said it in a very serious way, I suppose. And so one of them asked me, are you married? The person was not a Catholic. (laughs) One of them asked me, are you married? And I said, yes. And I sometimes find it very difficult to smile at Jesus because he can be very demanding. For 40 years... She longed to feel the presence of God and had nothing. Her biographer says, a true portrait of her soul is a person who is not swayed by feelings but is steadfast 
in faith. Not swayed by feelings, but steadfast in faith. How? That's the question we want the answer to, right? How do you stay steadfast in faith when you feel all empty inside? Do you remember what God says to Moses? He says his goodness will pass. His glory will pass. And then in 34, verse 10, he says, I make a covenant before all your people. I will perform marvels such as not have been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you whom you live will see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. You will see the work of the Lord. You will see the work of the Lord. Mother Teresa spent her life, the last 40 years, and everybody around her was exalting the Lord. We're living out, we're caring for the poorest of the poor, and she saw people be healed. She saw people come to faith. She heard testimony after testimony after testimony about people who were changed because they were there with her. She saw the marvels of God. She saw the work of God even though it didn't touch her. How do you keep steadfast in faith? You pay attention to the work of God, not the feelings you have about God. Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he says to them, if you know me, you know my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Like, where's the lamp? Like, show us, show us, Jesus, show us the Father, and then, and then we'll be satisfied. And Jesus smacks his face on his hand and says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will also do greater works than these. Faith is not about how we feel. And isn't that a good thing? Aren't you so relieved that when you get up in the morning, you don't have to take your spiritual temperature and decide whether or not God loves you that day? Aren't you so relieved that you can pour your life out the way Mother Teresa poured her life out, that you can bear witness to the work of God in the world, that you can be steadfast even though you may not feel it? How do we do this? Because God is at work in the world. Because God is at work in the world. And on the days when I don't feel it, I look at you. And I will lay money on the fact that when I have been in seasons of deep despair and deep depression, that is when the body of Christ just steps in. Because when Paul talks in his letters about the body of Christ, he's not just talking like metaphorically, like you're an elbow and you're a toe. 
He means we are actually the body of Christ. We are the ones who are living it out. We bear testimony to what God is doing in the world. So when we have moments when we're like the Israelites and we're like, oh, I want a God I can see, I can touch, I can feel, hold hands with somebody sitting next to you because we are the body of Christ. This is why on Wednesdays we have testimonies in here because when you're in a time when you're a spiritual valley and you're not sure what God is doing in your life, You need to show up and see what he's doing in somebody else's. That's what sustained someone like Mother Teresa through 40 years of labor. The work of God was displayed. The marvels of God were displayed. Aren't we glad she did not rely on her feelings? Aren't we glad she relied on her God? The work of God is displayed in us. So next week, to wrap up our study of Exodus, we're gonna have testimonies. And our testimonies are gonna follow what we learned in Exodus. So when you go to your Bible studies this week, and for those of you who aren't in Bible study, when you are with friends this week, I want you to think about who in your group of friends, who in your professors, who among your pastors or teachers or parents, Who do you know who has a testimony of rescue? That's the first category. Rescue, the first part of Exodus is about rescue, right? Remember that? Remember the rescue? Plagues, stuff, sea, yeah, quail. Rescue, all right? Think about a testimony about a time when God rescued. For the second, we're invited you to think about obedience to the law. God gives the gift of the law. When is a time that you or someone you know took a step of obedience, lived out in obedience, and God responded. And then the third category is a category of presence, of the work of God in the world. Where have you been where you have seen God at work in the world, at work on your floor, at work in a friendship? Because this is how God shows up through rescue, through a response to obedience, through his work in the world. This is our testimony. This is the truth. That when we grasp after the presence of God, we will always be unsatisfied. But when we open our eyes and we look for his marvels and we look for his works and we ask each other, Where is God working in my life? Because I can't see it. Would you help me? Would you help me see it? When we tell each other, I think God's doing this in your life, it's, it's been really cool for me to see. It may not do anything for you, but let me just bear witness. God's been working in your life, and it's been great. What if between now and next Sunday, those are the conversations we had? Not about how we feel about God, Where do we see him? Where do we want to see him? What does he look like? We are the body of Christ. The testimony is here. Will you pray with me? God, it is tempting to put this on you and say that you either come or go depending on what we do. 
and yet you are here. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are never absent. Psalm 139 teaches us that if we go to the depths, you're there. If we go to the heights, you're there. We may not see you, we may not feel you, but you are here. We give you praise and thanks that we are part of a community of faith, that none of us has to do this on our own. But we get to live out our faith in a community so that in the dry seasons, we have others who can point us to you. And we thank you for people like Mother Teresa. We thank you for people like Moses who were faithful, and especially when it was hard. Lord, you are sometimes, as our sister Teresa said, demanding. And yet, we can't imagine living our lives for anyone else. And so, we pray this week that you will raise up testimonies and that when we gather together a week from now, we will be overwhelmed because you are at work. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people say, amen.